Hello and welcome to the Cultural Peeps podcast. My name is Ian Wielden and I'm a lecturer in the School of Arts and Cultures at Newcastle University. This series is part of an ongoing project which explores different career pathways across the museum, gallery, heritage and wider cultural sectors. I really want this series to do three things. The first is to help early career professionals understand the huge range of ever-changing job profiles that now exist. The second aim is to help those professionals interpret job titles in the context of different venues and organisations. Sometimes jobs with the same title can be radically different depending on the organisation. The third aim is to help listeners understand that the people that make up any field of work are all human and that in turn plays a significant part in their unfolding career pathway and decision-making processes. A few caveats. The recordings that form the basis for the podcasts aren't technically perfect. They're often grabbed in busy offices and in between meetings, so you can frequently hear the everyday world of work whirring on in the background. Just a final note, these podcasts are edited down from longer conversations, but I've tried to keep in as much of the original content as possible. Welcome to episode 6 of the Cultural Peeps podcast. I'm currently outside Northumbria University, which is where I interviewed today's guest, Jude Thomas. Jude is currently a senior lecturer at Northumbria University, where she teaches across the Art Foundation course, as well as on the BA and MA Fine Art programmes. Her research in the university explores collaborative practice within the context of artist-led learning programmes. I really wanted to include Jude in the series because her career pathway is a fascinating one, including charity work, youth work, as well as teaching, freelancing, working with creative practitioners, teachers, professionals from across the cultural sector, as well as with students from a huge number of schools and universities. It's hard to define Jude's interests using a conventional title, as she's interested in so many different things. In the interview, she describes herself as an artist facilitator, which is a really interesting term, and one that I think sums up well the type of work that she's often involved with. I first met Jude in 2002, when she was appointed to the learning team at Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art in Gateshead. Following that role, she went on to work at the Liverpool Biennial, where she completed a cycle of managing the learning and inclusion programme, before returning to the North East to begin the role of learning manager at Waygood Gallery and Studios. That role included setting up a new programme and simultaneously undertaking a practice-based PhD at Northumbria University, concentrating on the artist-facilitator role. In recent years, she's worked in a freelance capacity as a cultural enterprise and skills coordinator for Museum and Archives Northumberland at Woodhorn, and she's also worked at Tyneside Cinema as learning and participation programme producer. We finished the conversation with some advice from Jude for people with similar interests to hers, and I think that's really helpful, and that includes being open to opportunities, understanding how to put on events and exhibitions, learning how to apply for funding, and the importance of documenting and promoting yourself. 
In addition to the things that I've already mentioned, I've put links to sites, organizations, and projects in the podcast description. So if there's anything that you'd like to look up that Jude and I covered in our conversation, then that's a good starting point. Don't forget, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway Project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. That's it from me for now. I hope you enjoy the episode and I hope you find it useful. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me, Jude. Could you just start off by saying a little bit about your current role and what you do? Uh, My current role is a university lecturer. I work at Northumbria University and my role is quite varied. I do general teaching on the fine art programme and I'm in a privileged position in the fact that I teach on foundation programme and also first year undergrad, second year undergrad, third year undergrad and I also teach into MA programme as well. I'm programme leader for the MA Contemporary Arts and Education and I also work with some PhD students so it's, it kind of encounters students from all aspects of different programmes and I see that as a privilege because that means I can see a journey and especially at the moment working with year threes putting up their degree shows it's quite lovely to think of them having been in the first and second and now in the third year so yeah so I work with a range of students and that's lecturing Um, it's the fine art program and that involves all manner of different things a lot of admin it also involves day-to-day sort of lecturing and supporting students in studios but it also involves a lot of pastoral supports and um, I'm personal tutor for a series of students, um, programme leadership and um, research as well. Is, uh, in, in the university we have a rule where we're meant to have 40% teaching, 40% research and 20% other which is the admin. Um, I'm sure you'll kind of ask me about this but it it's uh, it's hard to actually achieve that during term time because um, the demands of teaching and students actually takes up a lot longer uh, and admin uh, because with the internet, with email, our lives are very busy. <laughs> a good diplomatic description of a lecturer's role. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's good, it's varied and um, in that role of lecturer I sometimes might be delivering seminars, sometimes it's tutorials, sometimes it's working with students. Like this week, we're kind of supporting with the installation of work in yeah. studios and it's, yeah, every week's different. When you were at school, say, and you could see what you were doing now, how, how does those two things map together? So what did you, what did you, did you want to be when you were... What did I want to be when I was younger, when I was imagining being grown up? When I was really young, I wanted to be an occupational therapist. That was because a friend of my parents um, taught at a school for occupational therapy 
and I think when I was about eight or nine, we visited this school for occupational therapists and I'd had a really great day and I did lots of playing with clay and lots of fun stuff in the art room and I thought that would be a great career because I imagine that would be all about facilitating or getting involved with art stuff with other people. Um, So when I was really younger, and that probably sounds really precocious, but I, I kind of had visions that I might be an occupational therapist. And yeah, but that's really interesting because it's based upon an experience that you've had that, that you know, and there are clear patterns between what you're doing now and that, to be honest. So is that kind of a language thing? Is that about kind of understanding that that, that was just the term that you understood that work to, to maybe have at that time? Yes. And I also think um, when I was younger as well, a friend of my mum's was an art teacher and I spent quite a lot of time in the art room um, when my mum was at work, uh, if there was, I don't know, a teacher training day or whatever, I would often spend a day in the art room with this art teacher, again, playing with clay, having a lovely time, yeah. doing paintings. And I think that was a space that I felt really comfortable in. Yeah. Um, I think I've always been an organiser, so I love organising stuff. Um, When I was really young, I used to run a little club in the back garden and I won a premium bonds for £50 and bought a shed. And that was our clubhouse. (laughs) And I used to organise events in the club. So that, I think, and I suppose my mum's probably a a strong role model there because she is an organiser. She was a teacher. So I think that's kind of probably really informed my pathway. So, So when you were doing those days in the art, room were you given like a choice of what you might want to do whilst your mum was at school and you opted for that as yeah. your this is the decision that I want to make so that's yeah. quite conscious it wasn't like you you were put in there and then you kind of no, learned no. to love it no I wanted to I could have gone in any of the classrooms but I wanted to go in the art room so you went, yeah that's the space that worked for you and I think when I was at school I remember having a conversation with our um, youth kind of tutor person and telling him I wanted to be an artist. And I remember him saying it was um, really irresponsible because <laughs> he didn't see how an artist made money. Right. And he thought artists signed on the dole and kind of sponged off right, uh, the okay. state. And I remember having this conversation probably when I was in sixth form. And that was before I went to art college. So I think all the way through school, art was my thing. What, what impact did that have, that conversation? Did that make you doubt it or think about a way of combining that creativity with something financially viable? I don't, I think a conversation with that youth worker years ago was actually a bit of defiance, just like, no, artists can make a living, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's a way. But I used to always do voluntary work, and that's something that I think has been really informative for me as well. So from... A really young age, teenage uh, time, I've always had, I suppose, quite a social conscience and I've always worked with people and that's usually involved working with people in some sort of creative context. So I think the ha- they've always gone hand in hand together. Yeah. So it sounds like your family and the network around them are massively influential on your decision making or the ability for you to kind of choose what you want to do. Did you feel that there was pressure to conform in any way? No, I I had quite a lot of freedom and I was quite headstrong as well. Um, And I think working with other people was always encouraged and I did get involved with a lot of stuff. 
probably more than I studied uh, in the sixth form. I was probably more focused on kind of doing stuff. Right. And I was involved in a couple of charities. And I did my work experience at school in a special needs holiday home in Bognor Regis on the seafront, Martineau House, sadly no longer there. And that was a home owned by Birmingham City Council. And I did a placement there for two weeks. And this is important, I suppose I've forgotten how important it was because I had such a great two weeks working with these young people who had different disabilities, mainly physical disabilities, who'd come down to Sussex for a holiday um, and I enjoyed it so much that I continued to volunteer there um, for a couple of years afterwards. Right. And that was a really key part of my growing up, I think. At school, were there, was there any careers advice that was useful within that context? I was always told to become a teacher. Right, okay. So put into an existing structure that... Yeah, that was the most, yeah, I think most logical. easy, logical thing for right. them to place me. That's really interesting, <laughs> which you've kind of... I've kind of fulfilled. <laughs> so the, the subjects that you picked at school, the, the opportunities where you had uh, to, to select subjects that you could then pursue that were of interest to you, what, what was that process like? Did you just go straight for the creative subjects? My A-levels were English history and art, which I chose mainly because they were the ones that were of most interest to me. It wasn't a logical, right, this is what I'm going to do at university or this is what my career path is going to be, but those were the ones I probably enjoyed. I hadn't done history um, GCSE at school, O-level at school, because I couldn't fit it in with my options, but I really enjoyed it, so I'd kind of done it on the side. <laughs> That's quite interesting. They let you do that at A level. So, did, but right. then I carried yeah. on with it actually yeah. in right a taught then. way, yeah. taught capacity at A level. And and you said that, that that experience of sixth form started to become about other things as well. Well, alongside or starting to move in front of formal education for you at that point. I think if you I read my school reports from sixth form, it says that I would benefit from focusing more on my studies and less on my social <laughs> activities. Um, but I think that was all part of growing up and finding out who I was and not feeling very academic, actually. Right. And um, the art room and doing stuff in the art room was fine. But I think, yeah, I did uh, yeah, lots of voluntary stuff and set up lots of events and stuff for my peers. And again, it was organising stuff, that kind of territory where I was enjoying booking a minibus to take a gang of us to oh, go that's, that's the to worst, something. That's the most stressful part of <laughs> But you were, that's what you were drawn to, really, really. Yeah, let's go and see the Rocky Horror in Winchester and let's go in a minibus. Right. And then there'd be 15 of us going to see the Rocky Horror show in a minibus. Yeah. Did you go straight on from to university from sixth form? Uh, no, I went and did a foundation year, which actually, on reflection, I found really challenging and I was quite unhappy. And I think that transition, which again is something that's quite relevant to me now because I see a lot of young people come to university who perhaps are not ready, university ready, and I probably was in that position. So whilst I felt very grown up and mature in the sense that I could 
lead a holiday for young people with disabilities in Wales where we were doing conservation work yeah. and mature enough to deal with kind of a lot of responsibility. Actually, in relation to my art practice and understanding what my art practice was, I was very immature and very unready. So I did a foundation for a year at Northbrook in Worthing and on our foundation programme you specialised quite early and I specialised in painting and I quite struggled with that but I did team up with another um, peer on my course who was also interested in kind of socially engaged practice but we didn't know what that was (laughs) we didn't know that's what it was called and we did different projects together. We worked collaboratively. I think we did a walk. We walked the South Downs way and we kind of made an installation based on that walk. Yeah. But that didn't fit in with painting. Yeah. And I think that was kind of misunderstood by the tutors. And we also did some work with some people with disabilities and we were kind of told off. Really? Because it didn't really fit in with college. Right, okay. And we were meant to be doing our artwork, not other people's artwork. So I think... On reflection, that you know, that is the pathway I've trodden and I've yeah. not got off of really. Yeah, it's always been about other people. At that stage, was it just you were doing the stuff that you enjoyed doing? Yeah, probably. But did, did I you followed understood? my heart. But did you understand that this might turn into something that you could do for a living? No, I didn't think about that ever. Right, I just had faith that things would happen. That's really good. And That's things like... <laughs> things would fall into place, and they did. So I. I didn't enjoy my foundation year and there was a lot of conflicting things going on in the sense that I wasn't sure where it would lead but at the end of the foundation year and I think well bookending my foundation year I'd worked for an artist studio as a sculptural assistant and that was quite useful for me because again that kind of it evidenced to me that there was a world outside of university that could happen or I could make a living and I could still do stuff. And actually that was, again, a really key part of my growing up and experience. And I think I left my A-levels, worked for three months with this amazing sculptor making amazing, huge sculptures with a team of 11 people. So it was part of a, almost like a factory process of creating sculptures. and then I went to, to do my foundation. It was like a funny kind of step. And then I went back to the sculptors, but I also did a year out where I did a lot of work in Romania as part of a body shop campaign that was kind of responding to the Romanian revolution. Right. And suddenly there was this revelation that was all these orphanages. And I was part of a team that went to support work in the orphanages but I went out with a team of carpenters and electricians and chippies and um but I was there to kind of paint murals and to do creative activities with the children in the orphanages and it was meant to be a one-off trip and we made loads of mistakes we were really culturally insensitive we didn't mean to be we all went with good hearts but it was kind of I think now if people do voluntary work in similar situations, there's a lot, there's a lot of experience to, to learn from. Yeah. And perhaps we didn't have the full advice that we needed, so we turned up and made loads of mistakes. And then as a result, we had to keep going back right. to put back those mistakes. And So how did that play out? How did you find out about those mistakes? Did you know about them before you'd left? Or yeah. 
yeah, 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 it was really ov- obvious. We rocked up. There was a big gang of us, about 35 of us, went to Romania in a big coach with a couple of Arctic lorries full of donated goods that generous people had given, things like washing machines, clothes. And we rocked up in a tiny rural village in the middle of nowhere that had three orphanages. And we basically caused mayhem because we bought all of this stuff that people wanted. Yeah. Um, it almost like caused a riot because it was like all this free stuff. Right. And then we bought stuff for the children and it was again chaos because logistically it hadn't been processed or thought yeah, through properly. Yeah. I think it's interesting a couple of years ago when there was all the initial kind of news reportage of kind of people, um, refugees arriving in Greece and people kind of donating goods or even after Grenfell Tower, yeah. you know, it needs a lot of management and logistics yeah, and yeah. we hadn't really fine-tuned that. Yeah. So the first time we did that, we kind of rocked up with all this stuff and even things like the washing machines we'd taken weren't compatible with the electricity supply there. Yeah. And just like really yeah, silly things. Yeah. And it was a bit like turning up and saying, okay, we're, we're British, we yeah, can help, yeah. which is really patronising. And we knew that immediately. Yeah. And it was just trying to work out who were the most appropriate people to work with there that we could then work alongside rather than, yeah. you know... Ch- yeah change impose our way of working because actually there was a good structure there they were just under resourced and working in a really hard system so the team of us kept going back over the next year two years and actually the the project still runs it's now a global international program for charity for working with young people called children on the edge and the directors are the people that kind of set it up when I went in the 90s. Right, yeah. And they were just some young, they're not just some young women, they're young women um, in the 90s who had real passion and hearts and now they're kind of, you know, running a successful programme. Did you apply for that? Or yeah. did that, so you kind of saw an advert and then thought this looks really interesting? I saw an advert, but I also knew the advert was going to come out because it was through someone I knew. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, I had inside info. Right. But yes. And went for it and... Mm. So that's between foundation and university. Yeah. Did you take that? So it was like a couple of years. I took a year. No, I took a year out. And during that year, I did lots of work. I went to Romania. I also worked at the Blackie, which again, which was really kind of pivotal learning point in my life. The Blackie is in Liverpool, based in uh, an old church, St. George's Church in Chinatown. And the Blackie still exists today. It was set up in the 60s by a man called Bill Harp and some other artists. And it was kind of run as a commune and a cultural, uh, creative cultural community centre. And the basement was like a youth club. And then there was a gallery and then a dance space, theatre space. And it was a place that offered workshops. It also offered soup. There was this kind of thing where people would go and have food. Yeah. The young people that would go there would go and play and they'd have blackie soup. Uh, so yeah, as a volunteer, I was there um, probably only for a couple of months, but I lived there in one of the blackie houses right. and volunteered in the youth club every night and then worked in the blackie during the day but that was significant because on Mondays everybody that was a volunteer or who worked for the blackie 
got together for team meetings on a Monday, but we had staff games in the afternoon, <laughs> which was all about facilitated creativity. Yeah. And again, that I think for me was... That sounds great. ...really <laughs> uh, educational. Yeah. In a good way. There's a pattern here, isn't there, that you've always got overlapping things going on? Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so that year, in fact, then it became really hard to then leave that year and go to uni because I felt obliged to go to uni. Yeah. Uh, because during that year, I realised there were so many things that life could offer. Yeah. And once I did one thing, I found out about something else and that was very exciting. And then I realised there was something else. And there was a book at that time about volunteering opportunities, which I think I kind of found in a library and thought this is great yeah all these things I could end up doing mm-hmm. that's quite interesting so one find like that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there was all. like you could go and volunteer in America and work in some sort of pumpkin farm around Halloween and right. they had like creative pumpkin carving it was just like oh my god I want to go to America and carve <laughs> pumpkins I never did but you know it was all in this yeah. same book and that's where I'd found out about the blackie you relocated to Liverpool for that opportunity. Yeah. Were you quite happy to move based upon anything that came up at that point? Were yes. you really flexible with stuff like that? I was very flexible. I was very ready to leave home, I think. Right. Just, I think my friends had all gone to university. I'd still right. been living at home. And that sense, I was ready for independence. Right. And then where, where did you go to university? I went to university at... Newcastle Polytechnic, okay. now Northumbria University. I am a complete product of Northumbria <laughs> University. I am, uh, because I did my undergrad programme here, I did my master's here, I did my PhD here, and now yeah. I work here. <laughs> so I did my undergrad programme here. It was a programme called uh, Creative Arts, and I was part of the Visual and Performing Arts programme. Mm-hmm. And that course got scrapped pretty soon after I'd left it I think not because of anything I'd done it was just (laughs) the courses realigned and I think it became contemporary art practice and then it got merged into fine art but I did the program that was creative arts which was all about kind of community arts yeah socially engaged practice so you're really on the path by now and I really (laughs) knew that that's the course I wanted to do because during my year out I'd also been offered quite a few places on teacher training programs right and for me teacher training felt like an opportunity to work with people but the art bit was a bit minimal right and not enough it was like having a taste of some delicious cake and not being able to eat all of it yeah were you ready for that at that point Um, Definitely, I was ready for university, although I was still hankering after kind of exotic trips to Romania and uh, Liverpool, and I'd kind of enjoyed that freedom of the year out, so it felt kind of tough, and I think actually because the course that I did was about community practice, and I think to do a course about community practice does require a lot of maturity, and I think when you're in a first year of university, even though I was a couple of years older than maybe I would have been, I still, there's a lot to take on board and I see it with first years here, that kind of relocation, finding new accommodation, finding new friends, finding your place in the world, is quite a big step, or it's a massive step. And I think to do 
community-based practice when you're not actually familiar with that community is quite a big ask. Yeah. And I remember the projects we had in the first year for me felt quite tough because I was having to make work about an issue. It was all about socially kind of inspired work. And I was coming from a situation where I'd been working in Romania with a lot of very underprivileged children whose living conditions were appalling. And so that to me seemed the logical thing to make art about, but then that seemed quite trivial compared with actually being there and doing stuff and feeling that actually had an impact. Whereas making a poster or a sculpture about an issue and my issue happened to be those orphans felt really difficult and I couldn't marry up that. So I think my first year at university was quite tough because it was that transition of doing something that felt like had genuine impact to then theoretically thinking about something that made an impact. All the time you're at university, is the pattern the same where you're doing lots of stuff outside of the course as well? or No, not necessarily. I think I really threw myself into the course and the programme. And I think through the programme, I got involved with different things in Newcastle. And my final year, I did lots of work in Benwell. Yeah. And I think that really helps me think about place. I did work in Biker. Um, and... I did a whole project about biker in my first year, about the location, but also um, working in the school and biker as well. I made an installation that was exhibited in the school and it involved, it was a photographic project that I did kind of with the school. Yeah. Towards the end of university, did you start overlapping things, thinking about what you might be doing next? I thought, again, it was just that I had trust that things would happen. So I finished university, I had bar work, which, again, was significant because a lot of the people that I know and connections I've made, and still people I connect with now, kind of came through working behind a bar. So I think, you know, you can't overlook the importance of those kind of weekend jobs or evening jobs and how they can be quite strategic. So, for example, I'm working quite closely with Ali, who works in Newcastle Arts team in the council, and I first encountered her kind of behind the bar at the Riverside. There's a lot of people in my life (laughs) that I kind of know through working there. So, yeah, so I left university and um, got a summer job working on the play schemes with Gateshead Council, again, working with people with disabilities. And from that... I then got a job as a teaching assistant in a school and I worked with an autistic boy every morning um, and I also got a job as a youth worker and I think the moment I got a job as a youth worker was really liberating because it kind of encompassed everything I was interested in. It was young people, it was informal education, it was kind of creative. I had really free um, way of operating within that youth club so I could initiate stuff yeah. I was organising stuff and it was quite playful and the youth club was really successful and then alongside that I could kind of do all sorts of other things so work at the bar, be in bands, kind of have club nights and yeah. organise stuff socially with my peers that was in some respects I could then also earn a bit of extra pocket money income with as well yeah. but I had yeah. the security of a job and it was a job I loved <laughs> so I was really lucky. There's a skill set that you've developed there that's 
hugely transferable. Mm -hmm. So there are all of the things that you were talking about doing in your shed in the back garden and organising, being able to explore your own creativity but unlock that for other people as well. Yeah. Is that is does that sound like a reasonable synopsis of yeah, those skills? It's really funny because I describe myself as an artist facilitator and I think I've been an artist facilitator probably throughout my whole life. But <laughs> yeah. I've just not always realised that. Just in different contexts as yeah. well as you've gone. Yeah. So the youth work that you did, how long did you do that for? So I was a youth worker for four and a half years. Yeah. It was based in Seton Delaville and Seton Valley Community Education Centre. So my title was Youth and Community Tutor. And the youth club was attached to what was Astley Community High School. And it operated on an evening basis, uh, but we did lots of weekend work as well. And my role was the kind of evening stuff, but also a lot of kind of Duke of Edinburgh and weekends away with young people, lots of stuff, walking in Northumberland or um, trips in Scotland and Wales and things like that. Yeah. And and did you just know that the time was up at the end of that four and a half years? The or? reason why I finished my job as a youth worker was an ambition to travel. Right. And I saved up loads of money and I knew that I wanted to travel. So I set myself a deadline <laughs> to it's really it's quite brave to do that when you've got a, a regular job I suppose so yeah I knew that's what I wanted to do so I saved up my money and so where did you go so I traveled for two years which was incredibly privileged um I started off with Rally International I did that strategically by doing an expedition with Rally which is a youth and community or a youth development organisation, because I wanted the security of starting with a project. Yeah. And I think through my work with children on the edge in Romania, I realised that when you travel and you are part of a project, it's a very different experience to going on holiday. And I enjoyed that kind of going somewhere and feeling a bit more integrated right. or having a purpose. Yeah. And perhaps trying to be a bit more culturally or ethically a bit more sensitive I think having made the mistakes that we made when we first went to Romania I realized actually there was a lot more to traveling than just rocking up and having a nice time so I I worked for three and a half months and then I'd met some various other travelers through that experience so I was then able to travel kind of through Mexico for a while with one of the other people that had been on that expedition and then it's again that having security of you meet people through other people and then I travelled in America for as long as my visa would allow and then I met some people in Hawaii who I then kind of then travelled with for a while so it was it's kind of very privileged two years where I literally had lots of adventures none of it was planned yeah all I knew was I had certain flights on certain days. That was part of a round-the-world ticket. <laughs> but what happened in between was made up as it went. And again, yeah. it was just through having faith that things would happen. And yeah, there's I'd definitely make it a pattern, happen. isn't there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, but it's really good. It's a really interesting... Um, not many people will set off and just go and not know where they're going to be for the next month. Yeah, I don't always have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't always have a plan. Does that make you more receptive to those opportunities as they arrive? 
or always on the lookout for them? Maybe. Um, I don't know if I'm always looking for opportunities. I think I'm quite curious and I'm quite hungry for challenge and I like adventure. I quite like change. I think change is good. Um, But it's a different thing to say career ambition, isn't it? Where, you know, some people might have a definitive idea of where they want to get to. So it's just kind of, this looks really interesting and this could, you know, lots of opportunities to do interesting things here and explore that without necessarily. So do you think that, is there a kind of a linear plan in any sense like that? I find it really hard when people ask me, what's my five-year plan? (laughs) And I know that's a really kind of favoured question at job interviews I hate it I hate answering that question (laughs) because I don't really know what my five-year plan is I am ambitious but I'm also not ambitious because I um well I suppose I am ambitious I am ambitious because I want I want life to be interesting and full and I want to live life to the full and I think I do um but I'm not ambitious in the sense that I think oh yeah I want to be that uh person at the top of wherever I happen to be at that time Um, I think I'm a grafter I enjoy working and I enjoy giving myself fully to whatever I'm doing and I think that pays off but I don't necessarily do that with the idea of actually what the ultimate goal is yeah yeah so when you came back from traveling what what happened and that's going to be quite a difficult thing to land back and then think I've got to get yeah. So, well, when I was travelling, um, I did spend a year in Australia and I did quite a lot of interesting jobs when I was in Australia. They had a visa limitation restriction, so I could only work for people for three months at any at a longest stretch. Right. So that forced me to do different jobs and I did quite a lot of agency work. Right. So I got used to working in quite a flexible way and I was working in a lot of children's centres. I was also working with a lot of older people in kind of residential settings. So I came back to the UK because I really needed to see my parents and it felt like it was the right time to come back. But I did have very itchy feet still. I still wanted to go and travel more. But I came back and realised that I probably should be a bit more responsible and grown up. And so I applied for teacher training. I got a place on teacher training course. But before I started that, I did another rally expedition and I went off to Namibia for a few months. And then I came back, did my PGCE uh, down in Oxford and successfully finished my PGCE. So as an art and design teacher, I got a job in a school as an art and design teacher in Newbury and I completed my NQT, newly qualified teacher status in Newbury and I realised during that year that I really enjoyed working in museums and galleries and I actually preferred working in museums and galleries or doing projects about museums and galleries then I actually enjoyed being in school. And I think the school I was in was a great school, fantastic, fabulous art department. But I didn't like being a sixth form tutor that told their students off for wearing stripy tights and trainers <laughs> or for having dreads. Or I didn't yeah. like the teachery kind of aspect or the conformity of a school environment just right. didn't feel right for me. So um, that's when I thought... I'd like to move back to Newcastle and I'd like to get a job at Baltic, um, 
which was quite naive because Baltic was just about to open and of course it had a whole new team of people in there waiting to start work. So I moved to the northeast again with an ambition. So I did have ambition then that I wanted to work at Baltic because there was this new amazing gallery. So I arrived and of course there was no jobs at Baltic. Um, So I did another play scheme across the summer in Gateshead through Gateshead City Council because I'd retained connections and I think this is something that I've learned throughout life is always keep connections or follow up it's really important you don't lose touch with people and even if it's tenuous it pays off to be friendly and invest time in knowing people and following those connections up so I worked over that summer in Gateshead and miraculously a job at Baltic came about If Baltic had been somewhere that you didn't have a foundation in terms of some relationships with people and, and a bit of a history, do you think that you'd have looked at the venue and gone for it or was that tied in? Do you think there's a, a package of things happening? What was uh, important for me was not just Baltic, it was the northeast. So I had right. a lot of friends here and a lot of connections and I felt very grounded and I really love the northeast. And when I was a youth worker working and living in the Northeast, I really enjoyed being up here. Uh, and I still love being up here. So you did the play scheme and then applied for a place on the learning team at Baltic, working with school programmes. The team yes. was split into two, wasn't it, at that yeah. point? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was quite lucky because doing the play scheme over the summer, and I also did some supply teaching. So that was quite a useful grounding before I started Baltic. Um, Because I started Baltic in the October of 2002, so when it was quite newly opened. And my role was education programmer. Yeah. I think when it started. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Formal education programmer rather than than informal. Yeah, yeah, which then I think the the title for that changed and became schools programmer, schools, colleges, and universities. So how long were you at Baltic for? I was at Baltic for four and a bit years. It's funny, it's uh, like a four and a bit year kind of cycle that I seem to have with (laughs) things. But yes, I worked at Baltic for four and a half years and I really loved working at Baltic. I think it was a really interesting time to work at Baltic because it was new. I think there was a lot of energy and commitment, dedication. I think the team of people that were working at Baltic when I was there felt very special. They probably still feel special now, yeah. but just in a very different way. I think because it was new, I think, I think we all felt really kind of desperate to make it work, make it happen, and we all threw ourselves into it kind of 150%. And it was demanding. I think it demanded that because it had a lot to prove regionally. Yeah. And I think probably all of us, you probably will agree with me, um, but we kind of really wanted to prove that it was a great thing. Yeah, and I think you know there was no track record as well for something of that size, scale, or that kind of structure. So was that what attracted you to, to that the that organisational bit of setting stuff up? And I think my main drive was it was gallery education, right? And as I realised that formal. I realised I believe passionately in contemporary art practice and that that was a route for learning and engaging people the reason why I left Baltic and it was quite hard to leave Baltic was I think I'd tried different things I covered uh, maternity cover um, for my line manager twice and she was coming back after her maternity leave and I would have then 
gone back to the school's role and I actually felt that I was ready for a new challenge. I yeah. kind of enjoyed the challenge of taking on a slightly kind of different role and that was when I found out about the job that was going in Liverpool Biennial. Yeah. So I moved to Liverpool. Again, I think because I'd worked at the Blackie all those years ago, I enjoyed living in Liverpool. I think Liverpool and Newcastle have similarities in the sense that they're not two huge cities. They're yeah. port cities, yeah. um, they're vibrant, they've got a really good art scene, and that for me was important. Yeah. So I worked for one term at the Biennial and enjoyed it immensely. So like one cycle. One, one cycle, which was two a two-year year cycle. So one year of kind of setting up the programme and then one year of festival. And That's like the ultimate organiser job. Yeah. Did you come in almost immediately after one of the, the, the exhibition periods and then you had a two-year run-up yeah. and then left after the exhibition? Yeah. That's a big kind of two, like two years. Really <laughs> intense two years. Yeah. And really enjoyable, really challenging, really ambitious in the yeah. sense that the projects and the scale of the projects, because it was part of 2008 Capital of Culture Year as well. Yeah. So expectation and the eyes of the world were on Liverpool, it felt. And it was great. I think my first year was quite hard in the sense that I didn't feel as embedded in the city as I had done in Newcastle. So I felt a little bit lonely right. and um, missing my pals. <laughs> and it felt like all I was doing was working all the time because I didn't have those social distractions. So I yeah. think that kind of when you relocate somewhere is quite a challenge, especially when you're in your 30s where a lot of your kind of peers might be with families or settled or in couples. So I think that first year felt, yeah, again, it's like when you rock up and start university, it's like starting from scratch yeah. and, and reinventing yourself to a certain extent. It gets harder as well the older that you get. By the time it was the festival, so much was happening. It was such a brilliant year. I felt quite loath to leave it, actually. Right. So were you on like a fixed term? No, I could. Well, I was a fixed term, but I could have extended it. But I had also been aware of the opportunity of working at Waygood back in Newcastle yeah. and doing a PhD that would kind of evaluate and research the impact of a learning programme, setting up a learning programme from scratch right. at Waygood and kind of making that a piece of PhD research. For me, that was really too good an opportunity to pass by. So I came back really to work at Waygood. So Waygood at that time's studios primarily artist studios with a with a kind of broader or ex an extending remit at that point isn't it an expanding remit which is what you're talking about there about setting up education programs so Waygood had existed for 15 years as an artist-run organization started by helen smith and she'd started it as one tiny studio that grew into a complex of studios and they'd got a series of funding um, to basically renovate the building and create a decent gallery and proper learning space spaces and probably quite inspired by Baltic's learning program yeah. um, so my role was to set up that kind of volunteer program learning program all the policies that run alongside that and to initiate activities before kind of moving into a new building yeah. but sadly um, during that year things had got really kind of awkward politically and I think it was a very challenging year for a very small team of people and in some respects I think who were 
not supported enough. Um, I'll be very diplomatic. It was a tough year and it was really sad and, um, well, devastating really that Waygood actually had to cease. Right. Um, I mean, it's ironic that I end up working through Northumbria in Baltic 39, which is the building that was Waygood. and see that a lot of the vision and ambition that is now in place for Baltic 39 is exactly the same sort of type of ambition and desire that was there through Waygood. And the idea of Waygood was it was about affordable artists, studios, and a very kind of strong artist-led community. But I think what's really encouraging is that I don't think that goes away from a city. That energy no, still exists. I was going to say it exists in lots of places now, doesn't it? So, yeah. You know, B&D Studios is kind of one and Lime Street. Kind of, there's lots of little New pockets Bridge, of Newbridge. Yeah. yeah. So there's real thriving. So it sort of has a real legacy, I think, doesn't it? The Waygood... Uh, the model that was set up there. Yeah. So my time with Waygood was quite brief, sadly, and um, a lot of learning, I think, was a result of that really tough year, a year of business plans and hoops and pressures and recognising that the cultural and political, with a small p and big p, uh, world is quite complex you're kind of we're thinking about staying obviously if you're thinking about phd then you, there's a kind of minimum term that you are really committing yourself to way you good that lasted for about a year yeah so the phd should have been a five-year program yeah um so i still was able to continue with the phd study and i so was that funded switched by it was, was was that partially funded or it was a partnership agreement between northumbria university and waygood right okay um, so I was, although Waygood ceased, I was able to continue with my PhD through Northumbria University yeah. and I switched my focus to what my research still currently is, which is looking at the impact and the role of the artist facilitator yeah. and kind of really unpacking why the artist facilitator role is important to make a difference. Yeah. Um, so that's still something I'm still using as an ongoing piece of research. So I left Waygood and was very lucky that I had a job straight away working for creativity, culture and education, which was managing at that time a programme called Creative Partnerships, which was a Labour government project which invested £80 million of placing artists in schools with the idea of creating a creative curriculum nationally. And my role within that was the schools programme manager And what that involved is basically quality assurance. And my task was to look after, it's a bit like being a relationship manager for the Arts Council, but my role was to look after six area delivery organisations in the UK. And each area delivery organisation was given umpteen million pounds to kind of invest in their local programme. And my role was to check that those funds were spent appropriately, which was an amazing opportunity to go and visit a whole load of schools and visit uh, artists and see artists or artist facilitators in action um, across the country, or mainly the kind of the areas that I worked in kind of were the kind of black country and the Midlands and some up in the northeast as well. 
Um, and yeah, just write reports. I wrote reports for a couple of years. So you'd worked with CP earlier, hadn't you, at Baltic as well? Yeah. So I remember, I vaguely remember us doing some stuff with creative partnerships, work like kind of co co selection things. Yeah. I, I seem to remember. So would, were you attracted to that because you, you, of previous experience that you'd had? Yes, everything connects self in life. <laughs> everything has a. If you have a, a little line that you draw from one to another, there's always links. A web. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what I was sort of saying earlier. It's really important to kind of keep in touch with people because yeah. you never know how that's going to connect up later along the line. Yeah. So, um, yes, I'd been involved with creative partnerships through Baltic yep. and in particular with um, creative partnerships Durham-Sunderland. So um, I think when I worked at Creativity, Culture and Education, I was in a good position of understanding from yeah. various kind of aspects how the role worked also when I worked at Waygood I was working part-time at Waygood and doing the PhD but I also did a bit of freelance work as a creative agent yeah. for creative partnerships in one school I also did a bit of um, associate lecturer work at Northumbria University right. just on one module so I've lost overlap <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and so throughout the time that I was working for creativity, culture and education, I still continued to teach that one module at university as well. And I was still doing my PhD. So it was quite a really busy time because I ended up working full time for CCE. Um, a little bit of a pattern following Waygood, things kind of then crumbled a bit because the Labour government lost uh, the leadership of the country and then we had a conservative government elected in and creative partnerships was basically struck off uh, so there was a little bit of decompression time to kind of wind up those programs so I was involved in winding up those programs and then creativity culture and education have kind of set themselves up as an independent organization as a charity a creative learning charity and basically they have um, continued to work with the creative partnerships model and they've sold that basically to other countries. Right. So I was still working yeah. at CCE on a creative partnerships program, but not in the UK, but in Lithuania. Right. So I ended up working with them uh, in a different capacity, less as quality assurance, but more about kind of actually setting up and instigating a fresh creative partnerships program and also leading a, a whole series of teacher development um, CPD programs uh, so my role changed and then I thought I've really got to focus on my PhD so I had to sadly leave CCE um, which again was quite that was a leap of faith because I was leaving a good salary and I kind of thought well I'd saved up a bit of money I knew I could get freelance work if I needed to but I also knew I needed to give myself a year to write my PhD so that's what I did. I gave up my job and had a bit of savings behind me. It was a choice. Do I buy a new car because my car was falling apart or do I have those savings to live? <laughs> so I... Such a big, brave, brave move. Yeah. Uh, and I had a little bit of associate lecturer work keeping me ticking along. And so I did my PhD, finished my PhD. And so did you see the PhD... What was the goal for finishing the PhD? I don't like leaving things <laughs> right, unfinished. Okay. Not in that sense. That, that it felt like such a massive commitment and the privilege to be yeah. uh, awarded the opportunity to study at PhD level 
and my fees were covered and yeah. all in place I didn't want to just let that go so I was quite determined to, to finish it and see it through and I suppose I saw that as an in, an investment in myself as well yeah and I was enjoying it I was it was uh, I suppose it felt like a luxury to have the support of being able to look at what I'm interested in which is about from a, an academic and theoretical side yeah um to actually unpack what it means to be an artist facilitator. And also through that, because it was practice-led, I was working on particular projects and it kind of justified working on those projects, which might have seemed a bit crazy or a bit flippant or fun. Um, so I was doing some work with some friends. We've got a small collective called Lines of Desire. We were doing some quite playful projects, but actually... I was then able to evaluate how they were functioning within a community environment. It sounds as if you're moving towards a position there where you're starting to collate all of that experience together, not necessarily in the delivery of things, but in helping other people to deliver those things as well. So it sounds as if like there's a, a kind of mentoring thing that starts to emerge there. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think actually, the right way? and that's that, that's why I'm really I'm very happy to be working at Northumbria University because I think I offer a different perspective in the fine art team to some of my other colleagues. My work is very driven by engaging others, yeah. working with others, and it's less about coming up with a product that is in a, a gallery at the end of the day or my practice is very much about that process but it's about that process of working alongside others yeah. I hopefully provide a useful service for students here to kind of look at that aspect and there are students that kind of want to follow that route but actually I'm an advocate to, to hopefully share my experience and way of working my methodology which has been kind of quite diverse but I also, you know, I'm still doing projects, I'm still working in schools and doing things as part of my field work or yeah. research. And I try and engage students with that as well. And I think that's quite useful for, I did a lecture last year, one of our contemporary art guest lectures about kind of my journey, but also, you know, the fact that you can become a teacher and that becomes a passport to all sorts of things or you can kind of become a youth worker and use your creativity. So you can be an artist, but you can function yeah, in a very yeah. kind of diverse way. The university environment, does that offer you something which the other formal education environments that you'd either started to work in or started like the teaching training stuff, does it, how is that different in a way that allows you to explore those things and work in a way where those things overlap? I think working at university is exciting because the students here, yeah. they're here because they're excited about creativity and about that opportunity. Um, the undergrads and the MA students go through different stages of confidence yeah. and understanding kind of where that might go. And I think hopefully, and what I really enjoy is that mentoring, kind of helping people recognise potential. Yeah. Um, or recognise opportunity and yeah. So does it give you 
flexibility to kind of explore projects through the research side of things and through all that practice-based side of things. And then at the same time, there's enough of a formal structure in, in order for you to help make things happen for people. Is that? Yeah, I think that's a good summary. And I do quite like structure, even <laughs> though it sounds like I probably don't. I, I, I like functioning within the structure. Right. Um, I find working in a massive organisation sometimes quite challenging. Um, With how, how slow it moves. Yeah, I think so. I think just... Baltic used to sometimes feel slow, but really it was quite fleet of foot in comparison with the way that a university <laughs> works. You know, you've got thousands of people working here. Yeah. Um, at Liverpool Biennial, there was 27 of us, so it felt a lot more intimate. So I kind of enjoyed that kind of sense of working with a small team and being part of a team, but we're a team within a yeah. massive team. So I think the fine art team here, you know, and the students become part of that team, I guess. So if you could give advice to young people that were starting within the sector okay i'm going to read out my things i wished people had told me about right, okay okay so um listen to all the opportunities you're told about so i think that that's kind of with the students we offer opportunities all the time yeah and i think it's so easy to be kind of tunnel visioned and and think oh i haven't got time for that and i won't do that because that's kind of extra yeah but it's like those opportunities that come up are really invaluable whether it's a placement with Newcastle City Council whether it's the preview or so it's kind of like recognize those opportunities when they're shared find out about funding and how you get funding because I think that again is it's about being proactivity you know proactive I think make the most of opportunities that are kind of on your doorstep so like at uni whether it's the print facilities, the photography, you know, it's like you use everything because yeah, you don't it's... have them after uni and it's just like you take advantage of everything. Yeah. Be part of a community. I think stay connected. I think, you know, you don't know who's going to be useful when, and it's not that I'm doing things because I think they're going to be useful, but, you, you know, it just pays to stay in touch. Um, doing a PGC is a great passport to all sorts of other things. Right. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a teacher or the teaching's great uh, I think residencies are amazing so that's something I've done a, a few times I've done art residencies and I think they're kind of doorways to all sorts of opportunity um, I wish somebody had told me about insurance indemnity insurance and also kind of all the other support networks like engage and artist yeah. newsletter and um, people that offer you support, things like NSEAD, so there are unions that you can kind of tap into that provide networks, um, yeah, professional networks, because again, that's about bringing people together. Being part of an artist studio and a community is really great, if you can afford it and afford the time. And um, this is something I don't do myself, is document everything and promote <laughs> promote yourself through social media. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. do that, but I think it's it really pays off. Yeah. Um, I think you know it's the more you do the more things happen yeah so I suppose yeah maybe I say I'm not ambitious but be ambitious I am ambitious get out there be ambitious get yourself known and kind of be proactive and I think that's it you can make a difference that was my kind of those are my tips that I've given to students here that's I think that's a really good place to leave it I think okay. <laughs> thank you very much for your time that's all right today Thanks for listening to the podcast. 
don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 